Does this sound familiar? Our courts oppose the righteous and justice is nowhere to be found. Truth stumbles in the streets and honesty has been outlawed. There's so little truth being advocated that those who stop doing evil find themselves the victims of crime. Well, my opening sounds like a complaint by a believer on Facebook or Twitter, but I'm actually quoting from the book of Isaiah. The good news is this rival prophecy goes on to say that in the West, people will fear and respect the name of the Lord. And in the East, they will give him glory. And when the enemy comes in like a flood, the spirit of the Lord will lift up a standard against him. Then the Redeemer will come to Zion. And we're eyewitnesses in our day that this is happening. The Jerusalem Channel is made possible by viewer support. Thanks for watching. Everyone is going through an unprecedented time when medical science and politicians are trying to manage the pandemic crisis. It's a time when many are seeking the Word of God to give hope and meaning to their lives, and there's never been a better opportunity for our ministry. So we want to say thank you to the viewers of Jerusalem Channel who have continued to make our programs possible. With your prayers and support, we can finance the cost to send video streaming around the world. Each week our audience grows and we're even exploring ways to subtitle shows into other languages. So it's with your help that we can bring a good word, the gospel truth through Jerusalem Channel. And especially at this time, please continue to pray for the peace of Jerusalem. Shalom, I'm Christine Dark. It's extraordinary that tens of thousands of Christians gathered in Washington, D.C. recently, and of course, very peaceably, without rioting, looting, toppling statues, and no hate speech. Instead, they came to repent and to worship the living God as a demonstration of humility and seeking God's forgiveness in a time of severe crises in the nation. Predictably, there was not much media coverage, despite the events being watched by a global audience on the internet. But that's okay, because the only person who had to see and to approve was God Almighty. While coverage by the mainstream media might have done God's cause some good, all that matters in the end is whether or not God accepts at this time our many individual and corporate acts of humility, repentance, and seeking His face while confronting and renouncing wickedness within the churches and mourning our broken condition. One of the speakers at the event called The Return, Dr. Michael Brown, pointed out that in Jewish tradition, a pair of scales symbolizing justice is associated with the current Hebrew month of Tishri. And that was so fitting with all the fasting and praying that has been going on in America and so many believers outside of America have been joining in. It's no coincidence that a pro-abortion justice was removed at the beginning of the Jewish New Year and a godly Deborah 
was nominated at the White House to fill that vacant seat on the Supreme Court. And all of this happened in Washington on the eve of Yom Kippur in the month of Tishri on the Hebrew calendar. Well, do you recall in Daniel chapter 5, during the Jewish exile in Babylon, that handwriting supernaturally appeared on the palace wall when the ruler, Belshazzar, was giving a sumptuous feast? And the Babylonians were sacrilegiously eating and drinking from the holy vessels that had been looted from God's temple in Jerusalem. But nobody could interpret the mysterious message. And so the elder statesman, Daniel, was summoned to interpret what turned out to be God's verdict of judgment. What a solemn moment. Think about it. The stolen golden vessels of Jerusalem's temple were being desecrated at that pagan table. So what was the meaning of the mysterious words, many, many tekel of harsin, that appeared on the wall? Well, there's always a reckoning with the Almighty in the word many, meaning numbered, was written twice for emphasis. God was saying that days of Babylon were numbered. It's God himself who numbered them. Many was used in the double sense of numbering because God was emphatically bringing that kingdom to an end. And so Daniel said, many means that God has numbered the days of your reign and brought it to an end. Tekel means that you have been weighed on the scales of justice and found deficient. And Perez, Daniel said, means that the Babylonian empire would be divided and given over to the Medes and the Persians. Now the events recorded in Daniel chapter 5 occurred in the 51st year of the captivity of the Jews in Babylon. It's important to learn the accuracy of biblical prophecies. Jeremiah had said that they would be there for 70 years. Now regarding this invasion and capture of Babylon, prophecies were made 150 years before they were accomplished. And Isaiah 45 predicted that the Persian conqueror, Cyrus the Great, would be Babylon's conqueror. And this was fulfilled, for it was the Persian troops commanded by Cyrus who captured the city. And it was predicted in Isaiah 44, 27, that the great river Euphrates would be dried up before the city was taken. And this was fulfilled when Cyrus's soldiers with immense labor had worked to divert the river from its course. Thus, they laid a snare for Babylon. It was also predicted in Isaiah 45 that when the city was taken, its gates would not be shut. And this was fulfilled because historians record that had the gates leading from the river to the city been shut, the Persians would have been enclosed in a net from which they could never have escaped. It was also predicted in Jeremiah 51:57 that on the night of their capture, the Babylonians would be given over to drunkenness and taken unawares. And that was fulfilled, for Cyrus selected the occasion of the great feast when the handwriting appeared on the wall to besiege the city. And the historian Herodotus related that the Babylonians were given up to revelry and dancing and the guards were drinking when the Persians rushed upon them and killed them and the princes and the captains were slain at a feast. 
Well, I'm mentioning all of this because I want you to trust the accuracy of Bible prophecy, since we're living in times when Bible prophecy is being fulfilled, once again to a great degree. The commentaries on this passage say that this narrative teaches us that we're all under the inspection of God. We may succeed in baffling the search into our character and motive. Even the most curious and observant may miss, but there's a watchful eye whose scrutiny we can't elude. And eventually, if we're unrighteous, the handwriting will appear on the wall for us, so to speak, because God's eye is ever upon us. We may look upon a person's outward appearance, but God knows hearts. So why should we care so much about what people should say or pay attention to us? All we care about is the scrutiny of God because he's never mistaken. The result of his scrutiny reveals much that is defective in every one of us if we're truly honest. Believers know that the United States has been undergoing judgment. The handwriting, so to speak, has been on the wall for a long time, but According to 2 Chronicles 7:14, when God's people seek his face, humble ourselves, repent, and turn from our wicked ways, then God promises to hear from heaven, forgive our sin, and heal our land. So hopefully the revival activities in Washington that went on all weekend recently was a turning point for good, and many other acts of repentance are going on. Because as the United States being the leader of the free world goes, so goes the world. This battle over the USA has come down to freedom versus Marxism. And it's become a fierce battle. Believers don't want the United States to be divided, which was the very judgment rendered in the handwriting on the wall in the book of Daniel. So we must pray against division in our nations and especially in the body of Messiah as we cry to the Lord who is our only hope to heal our lands. Believers have been so divided recently and yet Jesus said a house divided cannot stand. Lately, the Lord has underlined to me the word indivisible in America's Pledge of Allegiance. So we must earnestly pray that the United States will remain one nation under God indivisible with liberty and justice for all. Also, I believe the Lord is calling us to pray Isaiah 54, 17 over leaders, both secular leaders and our church leaders, because they represent a worldview and we want them to have a biblical worldview. And so that verse decrees, no weapon against you will succeed. You will silence every voice raised up to accuse you. These benefits are enjoyed by the servants of the Lord, and their vindication will come from me, says the Lord. It's also time to intercede for God to raise up righteous judges in our nations. The judgment of the Supreme Court of Heaven is written against all nations that forget God. And it's written by the very finger of God, the same finger that wrote the Ten Commandments. Well, from the incident in the Bible of God's handwriting on the wall, we learn that a nation's time of probation is limited. We just can't take God's mercy for granted forever. Our days are numbered and numbered to the end. And we certainly learn that character is weighed by God in his scales. You see, he weighs a person's spirit. 
He knows a person's true character and all will be revealed. For Proverbs 16.2 says, All the ways of a man are pure in his own eyes, but the Lord weighs the spirits. In his love and mercy, pray for the gift of discernment in this hour amongst the body of Messiah. This is because according to a recent survey, only 6% of the people in the United States hold to a biblical worldview. And unfortunately, that's down from 12% of 25 years ago. What's more, 58% of adults believe that moral truth is up to the individual to decide. Can you believe that? It's always so dangerous whenever a society decides that individuals become the dispensers of truth rather than God Almighty. How have we come to this? Well, one disturbing statistic is that the typical American teenager by the age of 18 has been exposed to over 32,000 hours of media. So what can committed believers do when we only make up 6% of the population that has a biblical worldview? Well, all God ever needs to bring about revival is a powerful, faithful remnant. God only ever needs a committed remnant to change the world. And what responsibilities we have as parents. It's been said, this is staggering, that developing a worldview starts as young as 15 to 18 months of age. And one's worldview is almost fully formed by the age of 13. Meanwhile, the world is moving exponentially toward developing technology to mark identify and encode individuals. Bible prophecy written about 2,000 years ago in the book of Revelation foretold this time when a future world government will soon impose a universal mark on people's foreheads or hands. People are going to be required to have some sort of mark on their bodies in order to buy or sell. In the past, when I studied end-time prophecy, I always wondered how a global government would be able to control entire nations. But with a coronavirus outbreak, we have witnessed a dry run of an astonishing degree of compliance to regulations worldwide. Fear has been a big motivating factor in getting the masses to comply. The actual fulfillment of prophecies in the book of Revelation would have been highly improbable until recent advances in technology. For example, biometric ID systems forebode the beginnings of the ominous so-called mark of the beast foretold in the book of Revelation. Already, there's a certain amount of loathing against believers and free thinkers who even question the direction that technology is taking us. And we're being told that it would be unchristian to reject a jab, an injection, a vaccine. A pestilence that's gone around the world earthquakes, cataclysmic floods. We've seen the worst fires in history out in California in the West Coast and in Australia. Plagues of locusts, killer hornets, tornadoes, hurricanes, tsunamis. Some wonder if God has lost control of this planet, but on the contrary, God is sending us many loud and clear messages for people to wake up. Jesus will return to rule this world as he promised and all of these birth pains are just singling out the end of the age, saying it's coming. 
So now is the time to get right with God. You see, there's no need to worry about the Green New Deal because Jesus has his own new deal of right living that he's going to impose on the world when he returns. And King Messiah will renovate this earth. Wars will vanish and even the animal kingdom will live in peace. Meanwhile, we're witnessing a new awakening. Since churches have been closed, souls are getting saved in the streets. But rebels and reprobates are still desperately trying to take God out of our public lives. The abortion issue, for example, has spiraled into afterbirth infanticide. In these days of breakdown and uncertainty, I just want you to be assured that God is in control and at work behind the scenes. And he's fulfilling Bible prophecy and his eternal purposes. The extraordinary fact in our lifetime is that the nation of Israel has been resurrected and Israel is increasingly being cornered by God for the earth's greatest revival. Think of it, in their high holy days, they've been locked down. And all of this should give us tremendous hope and perspective. Many of my pastoral friends believe, like I do, that the great tribulation period, when the mark of the beast will be imposed, happens only after the church of true believers has been removed by the Lord. In the rapture, this dramatic intervention by God will plunge the world into greater chaos and confusion. It's called the great snatch, the translation to heaven of all true believers, and it is biblically sound. It's found in the word. When millions of people are missing, a horrendous time in the history of humanity will begin. And Paul describes this future event in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 where he says, behold, I tell you a mystery. A mystery is something that has not been revealed until now. He says, we shall not all sleep in death, but we shall all be changed in a moment. Suddenly in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable. And we who are still alive and remain shall be instantly changed into immortal bodies. So the New Testament teaches that there is going to be a generation of believers who will never die physically, but they will be, as Paul also said in 1 Thessalonians 4.17, caught up together with the resurrected dead in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so he says, will we be forever with the Lord? The Bible speaks very plainly then of a seven-year period afterwards called the Great Tribulation of unparalleled trouble. And these references are Daniel 12.1, Matthew 24.21, and Revelation 7.14. Also, according to the most apocalyptic book of the Hebrew Bible, the book of Daniel, the Great Tribulation period will begin when Israel and a world leader, the so-called Antichrist, confirm a covenant with many, some sort of peace treaty for seven years. And that reference is Daniel 9:27. The Bible prophecy predicting a cashless society is Revelation chapter 13, beginning with verse 16, where it says, he, referring to the future global leader known as Antichrist, shall cause all, both small and great, rich and poor, free and slave, to receive a mark on their right hand or on their foreheads. And no one may buy or sell except 
They have the mark or the name of the beast or the number of his name, which calculates to 666. Theologians may argue about what exactly all of this means, but to many Bible believers, the word of God is clear. One day in the future, an emerging authority figure will demand that everybody is implanted or tattooed with a distinguishing mark on the right hand or forehead, and this mark will be a precondition to participate in society. Already in communist China, we see the beginnings of this antichrist system with social scoreboarding. China's so-called social credit system is a national reputation system intended to track and evaluate individuals and businesses for their trustworthiness. Trustworthiness, of course, to the government, not to God. A world government could control commerce only when a society becomes cashless. And many countries are rapidly moving toward a cashless society. For example, already in Belgium, non-cash payments make up 93% of all consumer payments. Cashless transactions reportedly amount to 89% in the United Kingdom and 90% in Canada. Humanly speaking, biometric identities make sense because society is faced with too much fraud and identity theft. And there's a growing need to track all these terrorists and cybercrime. But technology becomes sinister when it requires loyalty to a government or to a leader over and above God. Biometric technology has quickly established itself as a means of identifying and authenticating individuals. Identities using facial recognition, fingerprints, iris scans, and so forth. Millions of smartphones are now unlocked just with the fingerprint or facial recognition. In the past, I wondered how it would be possible for the Antichrist to control poor and highly populated nations. But today we see all the technology in place. The times of the Gentiles that Jesus spoke of in his Olivet Discourse and that Paul mentioned as the fullness of the Gentiles in Romans chapter 11, 25, have been the church age. But now, one reason why I spend so much time in these broadcasts discussing the nation of Israel is that the Bible teaches this is the time of the fullness of the Gentiles. And God will soon complete the Gentiles and restore the kingdom to Israel. In the Gospels, Jesus sent out his disciples to preach the kingdom of God to Israel. And if Israel had received Jesus as Messiah, they could have inaugurated the kingdom of God then, a thousand years of righteousness under the rulership of King Messiah. But tragically, the Jewish religious leadership of the first century rejected Jesus and his kingdom. And although they rejected and blasphemed him, God did not reject them because God is a covenant keeper. He will keep every promise that he's ever made to Abraham and to the Jewish patriarchs. You just wait and see. But the kingdom was postponed while the church was being built. You see, in the interim, Jesus said he would build his church and the very gates of hell would not prevail against it. Jesus has been building his church in the nations for nearly 2,000 years. So the kingdom of God promised to Israel was postponed, awaiting a future generation in Israel that will receive Messiah. 
But first, the time of Jacob's trouble in the future will be God's means of bringing Israel back to himself. You see, Jesus had lamented on his last visit to Jerusalem. He cried, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, you who kills the prophets and stones those who are sent to her. How often I wanted to gather your children together the way a hen gathers her chicks under her wings, but you were unwilling. Behold, your house is left to you desolate. For I say to you from now on, you will not see me until you say, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Although I've taught on that passage many times this week, I learned something from Texas pastor Andy Woods. He said the word gather in this passage, how Jesus wanted to gather his people under his wings, is very significant. It's the verb from which we get the word synagogue, which you know is a Jewish meeting place for worship. So in effect, Jesus was saying, I wanted to have synagogue with you on my first coming, but you were unwilling. Now our time together has been postponed for a future generation who will receive me. And I believe that generation is the one we're living in now. Pastor Andy also pointed out something amazing that I hadn't seen before from the sermon of Stephen in Acts chapter 7. How Israel often missed it the first time, but then receives truth the second time around. For example, the brothers of the patriarch Joseph mistreated him, just as Jesus' brethren mistreated him and threw him into a pit and sold him for pieces of silver. But they later received Joseph in the midst of famine when they met with him in Egypt a second time. Just as the Jewish people will receive Jesus, Yeshua is his Hebrew name, when they see him a second time. The Israelites also rejected Moses when he came to them as the chosen redeemer. And subsequently, he spent 40 years of preparation in the wilderness. But when God sent Moses back to Egypt as their deliverer, this time they received him. And so it is, someday regathered Israel will summons Jesus with the words of Psalm 118, verse 26. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. That's a messianic psalm. And the nation will publicly acknowledge him as their Messiah. Baruch haba Beshem Adonai. He is patiently awaiting for a national response from them. And so intercessors, it's our joy to be the watchman on the walls. It's our watch. And all of us are excited as we begin to see these things unfold before our eyes. Aren't you glad that you've been brought to the kingdom for such a time as this? Now I want to pray for those of you who are weary and worried and wounded. First of all, this is so important. It's so critical. I want you to remember today the power that is inherent in releasing forgiveness to people. Holding a grudge is like allowing somebody to live rent-free in your head. But when you choose to forgive, then there's a tremendous release of freedom and peace of mind. So I ask the Lord today to bring complete and total healing to you as you release forgiveness and also to reinvigorate and rejuvenate you, spirit, soul, and body. We decree and declare that whom the Lord sets free is free indeed, whole and happy. Abba Father, endow each one and every person in Jesus' mighty name with a double portion of courage and grace today. In the meantime, I have so much more to share with you at our website, exploits.tv, 
which reports on current and end-time events relating to the church and the nation of Israel. At our website and Jerusalem Channel YouTube site, we offer a library of videos 24-7, and we also invite you to sign up for our free electronic magazine called Exploits, based upon Daniel 11.32, which declares that people who know their God will be strong, not weak, and we're going to accomplish exploits, meaning we'll do the works of the Lord in the remaining time before His imminent return. This is our time to stand for the Lord and to be willing to do glorious exploits for the kingdom of God. It's our time to be courageous. It's our time to stand strong. It's our time to make history. This is a glorious moment, not to shrink back, but to step up. It's our watch. Now, please feel free to share your thoughts with me on the social media, and you can watch our free video library by downloading our free Jerusalem Channel mobile app. In this broadcast, we've talked today about the fact that each person individually has to reckon with God and not just with human beings because it's in God's balances that our actions are ultimately weighed. No matter how much good we think we've done in this life, God says our sins outweigh any of our good actions. But we have a Savior who saves us from ourselves and from eternal perdition. When the question was asked in the New Testament, what must I do to be saved? The answer was given in Acts 16.31. And I want to leave you with that verse today. Believe in the Lord Jesus and you shall be saved, you and your household. Believing in Jesus is the faith that saves. Well, until next time, I'll always be contending for the faith and praying earnestly for the peace of Jerusalem. Shalom. I'm Christine Darg, Maranatha.